This is the low energy podcast where <laughs> nothing specifically has happened in our lives. We're just flat today. <laughs> I will done Piper, is it going to be embarrassing to sing sea shanties while Strix is in the other room? He hears me make many noises, Jess. <laughs> It's going to be fine. Pained ones, sighing. Ecstatic shrieks no. as I murder my enemies. Ah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> okay, I thought you were going somewhere else in a very blue direction, so I'm glad it went in a more red direction. In a blue direction? Yeah, blue. When Does blue mean sex? Yeah, it's like crass humour and Ooh, being very blue. That explains the weird <laughs> occult cartoon I've been reading. Okay, why? <laughs> so, the best graphic novel of all time... Of all time, mm-hmm. is Providence by Alan Moore. And <laughs> Alan Moore, I get it, he's a crazy wizard old man. Oh, I love his wizardliness, though. And I don't really like Watchmen. I preferred the movie. I don't really like FIFA Vendetta. I preferred the movie. Now the nerds are yelling. Now that I think I hear them outside. Somehow they're like, <laughs> their gatekeeping senses have tingled and they've gathered. Oh, so the, the yards are knelling outside. The yards are knelling outside. So I'm not a fan of Alan Moore at the best of times. And I think he's yeah. also a little salty about his works that are turned into films. Oh, he is incredibly salty, but I kind of like that in him because it, it does suit his wizardly... He did also write Jerusalem, and that's technically a war crime. <laughs> but I love providence mm. it's the greatest lovecraftian text ever written including texts by lovecraft you know i've never read providence it's so good mm, <laughs> it's so good i have to i always want to reread it as soon as i finish reading it mm. but i have to kind of ration my readings yes yes yes, yes i do the same but with watching parks and rec <laughs> oh, I, can't, really? I can't watch it more than once oh. a year because i love it so much maybe i'll give it a try i really love the good place oh, i love the good place. i haven't finished it yet so okay I, I won't give any plot spoilers but it did rip me open mm. shine up the turd that is my personality and put a shinier better philippa back inside my skin yeah it is it's, it's good. so good isn't it but Providence, yes. Mm. Greatest graphic novel of all time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes characters need to fuck to make the air blue. Okay. And I was like, why blue? <laughs> so there we go, the mystery, it's... this solved. It. Yes. <laughs> we solved we solve so many things on this. This is everything's awful forever. We solve everything. Got a problem? Listen to this podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix you up. We'll fix you up. We'll fix you up good. We'll put a shinier turd inside you. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> How and why? You'll have to listen to find out, I guess. I don't know. We're so tired, but like I, I do not I don't have any reason to be really tired. This is the beginning of the podcast where we say how tired we are, which we do in every single episode. But every single episode, I'm shocked by how tired I am, I think. <laughs> As it, if it's new. Yeah, it's like pe- pe- every single year, people are outraged that it snows in March. It's like, <laughs> what? Yes, every year. Every year. <laughs> it's just, it snows in March. And we are poor millennials and we're somehow surprised that we're tired every week. Yeah. It's hard to devote time to the things that you love. What? Yeah. In this economy? <laughs> I'm Philippa Evans. I, I'm Jessica Byrne and I just spend too much time just being angry at everything that I don't have energy for anything else. I'm currently cannonballing a coffee. This isn't going to end well. Yeah, that coffee is going down like a homesick mole. What? <laughs> I thought that that was going to be some kind of like sex reference and I was like, it's more... <laughs> 
Is, is mole euphemism for something? Is, is the mole putting the turd inside? What? Where? Have we mixed every metaphor? Where am I? Because I feel like this is going to be a weird one. It probably is, Jess. Okay, I'm excited. It probably for... is. You, I, you feel like you lied to me. You, you bamboozled me. You, you, you gave me a ruse, and uh, I was expecting something. And I might, it might be something completely different. Are you duplicitous. Or maybe I'm a triple agent, <gasps> and it's exactly the thing that I told you it was going to be, and. You're going to be oddly disappointed. Oh my god. I was initially working on an episode on people who were wrongfully committed to private madhouses. I don't want to hear anymore. During the Victorian period. There's other things in the world. It's a madhouse. (laughs) And there's definitely a lot to say on subjects and many interesting cases. And I'm going to talk about them. Yes. One day. Oh. But first. Uh Uh-huh. Victorian sex cults. <gasps> it was a ruse. I can't remember why I'd set up before, but I'm shocked. I thought you were going to do... I thought you only talked about madhouses from now on, and so I'm, I'm happy about this, and I like it, and I'm here for it, and I think it's good. It's what I've been talking about the whole year. I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it's what I thought I was going to be talking about. <laughs> the year of the podcast is Madhouse. just 2020 mad. I am going to struggle to say this word throughout the entire podcast okay which embarrasses me because it does come from greek oh. but i just i can't you can't i can't can do it so i'd first read about the <laughs> okay Yay. this is first try first I, try i want to watch you struggle look me in the eyes as you struggle so i'd first read about the agapemonites <laughs> very good a year ago in an article that I saw in the Telegraph, I don't know if that's a, a newsworthy source. The Telegraph basically don't trust any of the newspapers because every single one of them is owned by Rupert Murdoch, and they're mm. all bullshit. Newspapers are not trustworthy sources on the Agapamonites because they're like sex crazed Victorian cult had Satan child, and I'm like I'm I'm here for that. Sex bad though. Sex bad though. Sex not. Good. Ooh, sex good. <laughs> I can't even remember what the original article is about. And it's behind a paywall now. Fuck you. No. It was something like the last of the cult members were trying to apply for being a charitable organization or something bizarre okay. that made me remember them. Hmm. So I really wanted to learn more about them when I read that Telegraph article, but I just couldn't find any source material outside of... The odd online article, sex cult, Victorian sex cult. So I left it. But when I was trying to research madhouses Mm. in Sarah Wise's Inconvenient People, I came across an interesting chapter on this cult. The book itself discusses the tensions between the British public who didn't want to be committed to asylums just for being weird Mm. and the mad doctor trade, which is very invested in people being committed to these institutions, sometimes against their will. But there is one chapter on a member of this cult who... Things happened. Things happened. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I don't want to spoil the plot now. I took a sip as you did the vaguest thing. Things like I did to just did to you just then. And doings transpired. <laughs> Stay tuned to find out more. Oh, I've been I'm tired, Jess. I've had yeah. to wash my hands. 30 times a day. I... 20 seconds. I don't have that much time to do anything. Boris Johnson has ruined hand washing for me. And that's a sentence I never thought I'd say. Yeah. I dread birthdays and cleanliness yeah. now. I, are, I already hated both of those things. And Boris Johnson. And Boris Johnson I hate most of all. So all of it is bad is what I'm saying. Back to 
<laughs> no, I've just learned how to say it, Jess. Okay. So. okay. So a little context on them. They went by a few different names. The Lampeter Brethren, the Community of the Son of Man, the Children of the Resurrection. Oh, that one's gender inclusive. I like that one. That one is good. Or more ominously, yeah. the A. Ugh. Not to be confused with. The eye. Vowels are scary. Vowels are really scary. Also, if there's anything that's a brethren, I'm fucking in because it sounds cool as shit. When we start our own weird cult, yeah, I wanted brethren. to have a number of interesting and mysterious names. Oh, yes, yes. You yes. wanted to be brethren. I want one of them to be the brethren of something something. The brethren of something something. Not more gender inclusive, the siblings. <laughs> <laughs> No. No, I mean, it's called brethren, but we're all included. We're all brothers, bro. No matter what gender you bro. identify, we're all bros. Bra. So the word agapomony comes from the Greek word agape, which translates to love, but not just any love. Mm-hmm. While the Greek word eros refers to sexual or romantic love, and philia refers to friendship or familial love, agape is the ultimate form of love. The penis kind. The penis kind. <laughs> Actually, the word is primarily used in Christian texts, and so often refers to God's love for humankind, or vice versa, or just love between Christians in general. Oh, I see. Right. When the New Testament says that God is love, that's the word agape. Mm-hmm. Or love your brothers as you love yourself, I think agape is used there as well. So, mm. But it's kind of a mysterious love. Nobody knows exactly how to categorize it. Yeah, because you've got your, your doinkin' love, and then your mm-hmm. friendship love. Bro love. Bro love. Yeah, your doinkins and your bros, which is what we should call it from now on the rest of this podcast. And and then there's storge, but I can't remember what kind of love that is. I just remember the word something love. Let's say pet love. I was going to say pet, but doesn't that kind of fall into the friendship kind? I think I love my pets more than my friends, so those loves are distinct. Well, that is incredibly true. True words were never spoken. Mm. <laughs> but then, like, what love is beyond that? Maybe we just don't love things enough. Maybe we've never experienced it. It's like a, like a sociopath is like, yes, feelings. I have one right now. We're like, yes, that love. I... Jess and I are being very careful to look into each other's eyes. Yes. And maintain eye contact I while we express feelings. Feelings, yes. And I'm smiling. They smile. Is this mm. too much smiling? It's There's a, a lot of, a... of teeth. There's too much teeth? Less teeth? Open your eyes more? This is horrible. I hate this. I'm My glad... face is a Richter soft. I'm glad this is an audio medium that was horrible. That I shall see that in the inside of my eyelids when I close my eyes. <laughs> so the word agapomony translates to the abode of love. Oh. And the cult of the agapomony was founded by Reverend Henry James Prince. Very good name. Isn't Very it? good boring Englishman name. So the cult preached the imminent coming of Christ as well as the elevation <laughs> of man. <laughs> I'm sorry. This whole episode, because it's a sex call, everything you say that's slightly adjacent, I'm just going to be like... (laughs) It's going to be a long one, friends. Conveniently, most of the followers were wealthy, unmarried women, 
<laughs> and the cult gained enough wealth to have churches in Somerset, London, Suffolk, Brighton, and Weymouth. Oh, they're very posh places. They are. It was a very middle-class sex cult. Mm. Bougie. Not that these were all permanent bases, since the Agapominites were often kicked out of the communities. <laughs> Reverend Prince had initially been installed as the curate of Challenge in Somerset. I feel very British as I say all these place names. Yes. Everything looked normal to begin with, until Prince started acting as if he was possessed in his sermons, throwing himself around the church. Oh. And more and more people came to see this because he kept repeating it every single sermon. Yeah, of course. That's a good marketing technique. <laughs> we should do more of that. <laughs> yeah, just go outside and throw us around. around a bit. So eventually his congregations got so big that he had to separate them into male and female halves. Oh. Convenient. Mm-hmm. Later, he decided to reshuffle this, and his congregations were separated into the sinners and the righteous. <laughs> Imagine being separated into the sinners. <laughs> and you're sitting down in the righteous, and they're like, no. And like, oh, okay. This place is not for you. I really did that once, though. <laughs> Strangely, it was the righteous section that consisted of wealthy unmarried women. Of course. Sorry, Greg. Greg, sorry, get in the sinners. cinema corner. Fuck you. I thought it was more difficult for the wealthy to get to heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, but that's just what the Bibble says. <laughs> Fake Bibble. news, according to Prince. <laughs> This particular story takes place in Suffolk, in the village of Wixow. And a lot of our stories are in Suffolk. Suffolk. <laughs> There's a lot going on there, apparently. It's because it's the wealthy, older crowd. Yeah. They get up to some shits. They get eccentric and bored, so they need to do some crazy <laughs> sex cults. And <laughs> what to do with all this fabulous wealth, their own land and sheep? I'm getting an idea. <laughs> <laughs> this better not awaken anything in me. <laughs> So Suffolk, Village of Wixow, concerns the Nottage family, and Louisa Jane Nottage in particular. Oh, Louisa. The name like Louisa Jane, of course you're going to end up in a sex cult. Listen, Philippa, Jane is my mother's name. Louisa's your middle oh, name. Louisa is my middle name. Jane is my mother's middle name. Let's <gasps> go straight to the top. It's all coming together. So Louisa was the daughter of Emily and Josias Nottage, and one of seven children. There were five daughters in total and two brothers. One of the sisters was married, and frustratingly, I never found out which one. Oh. <laughs> this is going to be awkward. It's like sometimes when you're trying to find, it's like Henry Bibble and his wife, and it's like, what's her name? Why is her name? And it's just nowhere. I know the name of the husband of the sister was that was married, but which one was it? You only need to know the man is married. Philippa. There's seven million other mm. sisters that they have. Who gives a shit? So I'm just going to pretend that it was each one of the sisters in turn that was married. Oh, so they all took turns marrying yeah. the same guy? I think so. Okay, cool. We're going with that. All right, yeah. I like it. But the other four sisters, aside from the mysterious fifth one, <laughs> all lived at home in Rose Hill with their parents. Their father, Josias, had made it good as a wool merchant, and he had enough money to settle £6,000 on each of his four unmarried daughters. That, that was a fair bit. I don't today. I'm not really sure. I'd imagine like sixty thousand quid, Probably. but I'm just going off um, what I'd read about Bedlam when I was looking at conversions. Well, that's a lot. He was a, a, a wealthy man then. It, it was pretty good. Yeah, like Darcy in Jane Austen earns ten thousand a year, Mister Bennett. Ten thousand a year. <laughs> so six thousand. It sounds kind of 
sizable. Yeah, yeah. On each of them. On each of them. Yeah, I wish I had that. <laughs> I wish I had Just that. Just give me fucking <laughs> 6,000 in today's money. That's, <laughs> That's so, fine. Like, that'll last me like a whole year. <laughs> <laughs> but don't get too excited, Jess. I, oh, okay, okay. Because this money wasn't theirs to spend. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. Power of attorney was granted to the husband of the one married sister. Oh. A man called Frederick Ripley. He sounds like a charlatan dick. A real dick. dick. Somehow, doesn't he? <laughs> so for as long as the four daughters should remain spinsters, he had power of their money. Hmm. Of course, once they got married, their money would belong completely to their husbands. To be fair, Josias was not being a dick. It was just common law at the time. Yeah. There were ways of setting up, like, trust funds to put the money in the hands of the the woman, but those were kind of expensive and time-consuming, so it wasn't done very often. Mm. Of course, there was no hope for Louisa. She was 40, and in the Victorian period, that was a fucking death sentence. Yes. Most women in those days were married between the ages of 18 and 23, so she's never going to dust out that vagina. <laughs> it's over, Louisa. Just fucking... Just lay down. Commit seppuku. Just give up. This, it's not going to happen. Sounds oh, Louisa. No. Sounds Louise. 40 now is kind of... Forty's like cool again. Like you've already you like you had a shitty relationship in the beginning, maybe you were married or you're just living with mm. them. You've gotten rid of that asshole because you were twenty when you got with them and you're a fucking idiot. And now you're living your best life. You're like, I know what I want and we're gonna go out and have a grand old time. It's young enough to still be cool and young and hip. Yeah, and hot still. But old enough to not give a shit. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I'm kind of excited to be 40. <laughs> I think it has an authority to it as well. It's like, I'm 40. In my 40-year-old man, I got my shit together and I'm incredibly wealthy and the king. So I feel <laughs> like it's going to be great. I feel that my 30s are just me flailing about. So I look forward to my next decade. Yes. But for Louisa, there was no hope. It was a, no. it was a miracle she was even alive yes. at 40. <laughs> So in the absence of sex, Louisa and her sisters went to church a whole bunch. Oh, oh and... it's getting worse than that. <laughs> and it was their religious inclinations that would lead them to Reverend Henry James Prince, he of the Agapomenites. I'm probably just saying this word and people who know better are going to, they're going to add us, Jess. Listen, we've been over this, that if you say it with enough confidence and also no one knows where you're fucking from. Say that's where you say Just it. Just my accent. Say that's where it comes from, from Lesotho. I think I say Lesotho Close enough. a lot. <laughs> and just be like, yeah, man, that's how we pronounce it there. Don't be a fucking xenophobe. Why are you racist, Greg? <laughs> so Prince and his cult had been freshly kicked out of Somerset, and he now shared a house in Stoke with his brother-in-law, Samuel Starkey. Doesn't that sound like a con man name? Samuel Starkey. Starkey. This would be in 1843. Three of the Nottage sisters eventually came to visit Prince and Starkey every day. Louisa, the eldest, Harriet, who was 37, and Agnes, who was 24. So there was a sliver of hope for Agnes, let's I, just say. I was holding out hope that one of them would be called Hutch. Hutch. <laughs> that the mysterious unmarried sisters. Starkey and Hutch. That's oh. a reference from the 70s that oh, not yes. even I truly understand. <laughs> so Prince and Starkey would go on to establish a chapel in Brighton, and the three sisters rented a house just to be close to them. Oh. The other two sisters, Clara, who was 32, and Cornelia, who was 29, would join them. Cornelia. I, th I think it was Clara that was married. Right. That is... Okay. What I suspect. 
but I might be wrong. Uh-huh. But all of them are kind of tagging around anyway. This is very odd. It's five sisters. This is Jane Austen, but cool. Yeah. Apparently, Prince would preach on the seashore, and it was just so damn Instagrammable that no woman could resist. He used to preach in the open air quite a lot wherever he found himself, and apparently that just drove the ladies wild. Yeah. Religion. In the open air, with the wind blowing and the cows in the pasture, just fucking orgasm. I am now picturing him like a protagonist from a trashy romantic novel. So basically he's Fabio and he's got his like long curly locks and his shirt is half open a little bit. And he's like talking about Jesus and they're all loving it. And sometimes the power of Christ just gets him extra passionate and one button pops. This is kind of around the same time as pirates? But like he'd have a pirate accent because they all did around there. So he's like like a pirate (laughs) sermon guy. Is this a sex novel? Because if it's not, I think we should write it. Let's do The five sisters and the pirate preacher. The pirate prince. The pirate prince. Five sisters and the pirate prince. People will be so disappointed when he's not a prince. Do you do you hear that? That's the sound of millions of pounds rolling into <laughs> us right now. Oh my god, yes. Listen. We finally hit it. <laughs> We're gonna make a pig. Hell yeah. The five sisters would also travel with the two men to all of their different bases. And they'd foot the bills and pay for the hotels along the way. And weird. <sighs> it's odd. But, and... That's what the Victorians said. They watched these five sisters traveling with these two men, supporting their lifestyle, going, this is weird. Eh, I, like, I'm picturing them together like a little gaggle of geese as well, just kind of like, <laughs> rah, rah, like rah, waddling rah, rah, around, like rah, rah, after these men. When I say the Victorians said this is weird, they went, this is scandalous, <laughs> Mildred. <laughs> Don't look at them. So there was a lot of scandal surrounding their behavior. Very good. When Josias lay on his deathbed, they apparently gave no fucks and they came to visit him only with great reluctance saying i wouldn't have even come dad but it was the will of god (laughs) oh geez yeah he gave them so much money why what no they gave him so much money oh the dad gave them money yeah i did the brother in law true yeah so josias and i guess that is kind of the first step of making a cult your followers should be separated from the rest of their family and loved ones very true slowly distance them yes their mother emily nottage started to get really concerned after josias died and (laughs) and they just were like well cheers dad i shouldn't have died (laughs) and when he died in 1844 she went with her daughters to brighton just to look out for them that's nice but things just got worse Mm. In 1845, Prince and Starkey set up a more permanent church back in Somerset called the Trinity Free Church in Four Forks. I don't know what Trinity Free. Is it free of the Trinity? Or is it a free church of the Trinity? Did they hand out free trinities? Who knows? Sarah Wise mentions that this cult was both loved and hated. (laughs) And amongst the complaints brought against the church were ecstatic shouting and bellowing. Pirates! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Come listen to God, ye avast. <laughs> <laughs> so that's bellowing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. History will never be the same. <laughs> we all remember when the pirates came to Somerset. <laughs> 
stirring up strange delusions in women, some of whom were committed to asylums. Oh. And strange pronunciation. <gasps> arr, arr, my hearties. Arr, my hearties. Let me tell you about Jesus and he'll go and throw you off the gangplank, you scurvy dog. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Victorian just, I'm sorry, what? Pardon me? <laughs> God save the Queen. <laughs> Apparently, he used to place the stress on syllables that shouldn't have been stressed. I don't know what they were complaining about, but okay. He was reading from the Bible. (laughs) It's legit. It's hard to say what really went on in the churches. A lot like the, the, the Hellfire Clubs that I talked about in an earlier episode, there was just so much rumor, it's hard to separate mm. fact from fiction. Yeah. Some people said that Prince believed that he'd been absorbed into the personality of God <laughs> and was the living embodiment of the Holy Spirit. A magistrate said that women had to present themselves naked to Prince if they wanted to join the cult. <laughs> And if they didn't, then he pronounced them damned. Oh no. And if they did... He pronounced them damned fine. Damn fine. <laughs> the build-up of you getting to that uh, on your page. You I've see just you been waiting with delight. <laughs> I spent all of last night going, <laughs> she'll never see it coming. <laughs> Another member of the sect broke off from them and Brighton became aware of the heretical nature of the Agapomenites. For example, the prince said the prince for example prince said that the day of grace was over and the day of judgment was upon them in a pirate accent pardon in a pirate accent the day of grace be over me (laughs) the day of judgment is here shiver in your timbers (laughs) this episode just got a million times better everything does when you sprinkle in a pirate that's right (laughs) the thing is that you need to make your film or anything good is you've got pirates Pirates, wolves ninjas dragons dragons those are the four things to make you think good think shit put in all all four of those things this is why Game of Thrones was so good it had all of them and that's when the dragons attacked Somerset (laughs) Prince stated that only his followers would be saved now that the day of judgment was here. Mm-hmm. Because of that, prayer was pretty much pointless. So they worshipped God, aka Prince. But what's the point of praying? It's too late, it's judgment day. You missed it. Damn. Just fucking throw that out the window. Oh my god. As Brighton was like, well, this is weird. The cult retreated to, to its Somerset base, damning Brighton to hell as it went. They even made up a little rhyme like, woe to Brighton, woe the damned, and, and then just left. <laughs> but here's where things went tits up for the Nottage family. Mm. Prince had commanded Harriet to marry the Reverend Lewis Price, Agnes was commanded to marry a man called George Thomas, and Clara was ordered to marry William Cobb. So maybe it was Cornelia that was married. Oh. Maybe. maybe by the process yeah. of elimination. Yes. That's... This all sounds very kind of early Mormon, like, you know, the women could just be kind of passed around as bargaining chips, mm. sort of. I guess every religion, scratch that, I every guess religion. <laughs> every woman yes. has been a bargaining chip. So all three of these men were amongst Prince's closest disciples, and all of these men were a fair bit younger than their brides-to-be. Oh. Louisa alone had been left out, probably because oh. they looked at her and they were like, no. we're not going to be able to, to clean out that one. <laughs> Oh, Louisa. And she was sent back to Emily, their mother, to tell her the good news. (laughs) 
go back to your mother, whatever. <laughs> she was a valued member. She just wasn't chosen to be a bride. Uh-huh. Emily had some questions. And don't think that Louisa didn't have answers. Mm. Question the first. Why? Mm. Why? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm. According to Prince, it was the will of God. Oh. Yes. Anything I think can be answered by is because of the will of God. And when Emily asked why Louisa had travelled all this way alone and unescorted, on the Sabbath no less, which was incredibly improper, well, it was the will of God. Will of God. But don't worry, Louisa said. No need to fear for the virtue of her three sisters, because these were spiritual unions. They were spiritual brides. There was to be no fucking whatsoever. Okay. See? Oh, good. And it was the will of God. <laughs> it was not the will of God that more children should be brought into the world, because the world huh. had technically ended, and the day of judgment was upon us. What, no more children. What did you think happened in the judgment day, that God just came down like with a magnifying glass and was like, hmm, no, and then just <laughs> went away, but nothing happened? From what I gather, mm. I think that he really did believe that he was the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that his coming <laughs> was the day of judgment. And so if you were saved, you were saved. And if you were damned, you were damned. And I'll get on to this, right. but he believed that the people who were saved, his congregation, were immortal. Time would tell. <laughs> and if the rest of the world that was dying off, they were all the damned and they were going off to hell. Whereas he and his group would live in glory forever. That, that level of mental illness just sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? Like, like I wish I had that self-confidence. You know? I think you'd be a happy person. Yeah. <laughs> so God, aka Prince, did not want more children. He was not ready to be a baby daddy, I think. Uh-huh. No fucking. None of it. It was the will of God, however that the £6,000 for each sister should go into the care of the Nottage girl's spiritual husbands. Agnes, the youngest, had some objections to this and asked that some of the money be put in a trust for her. Like I said, it was a way of putting money directly into the control of the woman. Right. To which her spiritual husband, George Thomas, said, No. <laughs> Agnes was also put out that she'd never be a mother, but you can't mm. go questioning the will of God. Prince also informed them that, as they were saved and had all been reborn as pure spirit, all prioritized loved ones and families were now severed, and they could never see their loved ones again. Very cult. It is, is very cult. On the, like, rule number two of cults. Cult 101. Yeah. Louisa also told her mother that Agnes's husband would be going to stay in Emily's rented Brighton home, as per the will of God. And Emily, unhappy, fled back to her home in Rose Hill, chased out of her own house. The marriage took place on the 9th of July, 1845, and £18,000 passed into the hands of the Agapomenites. God, what is that in today's money? That must be more than I've ever had. (laughs) Don't think that it was only the Nottage sisters that had to give up all their belongings, though. Everyone had to give up everything that they had, whether rich or poor. Using the resources, the sect built a large house that had over 20 bedrooms, a chapel, pleasure grounds, Mm -hmm. a shrubbery! (laughs) 
glass houses, stables, and a granary. Sarah Wise also mentioned that they purchased four farms in order to stay self-sufficient. This is just the most culty cult I've ever heard. <laughs> the cultest cult ever cult. Yes. But there are other abodes, Jess, that oh, we should look at. Okay. Aside from the abode of love. Shall we meander over to the workhouse? I think we shall. Now, do you want me to bring my five husbands, or shall I leave them behind? Oh no, do you have five spiritual yeah, husbands? Yeah, I've got five spiritual husbands. But... Let's have them in tow, we can then just make them work. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll get them in the orphans. <laughs> yeah, we'll trap them in there, good idea. <laughs> Overseeing our industrious orphans can be pretty boring, Jess. Can it is. I mean, there's only so much weeping and toil that I can stomach yeah. in others. So in the meantime, we may as well exchange a few rumors. Oh, tell me more. For example, have you heard yes. about Samantha Ashmore? Oh my. Tragic tale. Oh good. <laughs> tell me everything. She went on a pleasure cruise a few months ago mm-hmm. and ran into a spot of bad weather. Mm-hmm. Absolutely awful. Unavoidable. Can't escape the weather. Of course. It might have helped though if they'd hired a competent sailor. Like, I don't know. One who knows how to sail a ship. But they insisted on taking on old landlubber Joe. You know Joe, <laughs> right? Joe. Scared of water, yeah. vocation in accounting. Like, honestly, landlubber is his first name. <laughs> but he has a parrot, so, you know. Oh, he's a pirate, yeah, okay. It's fate, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Well, just when Samantha and her crew were given up for dead, a makeshift raft was discovered out in the open ocean. What a miracle. Apparently, only Samantha had made it out of the wreck alive. She and Joe's parrot. <gasps> Although, Joe's parrot does seem to keep saying things like, Please don't eat me! And, No! No, not the legs! <laughs> so one does have to wonder what Samantha got up to. Hmm. But all thoughts of boat-based cannibalism aside... <laughs> Which we talk a lot about. Thank you so much to Samantha for your patronage and to all our other patrons. Your donations make such a huge difference and they really do help us to keep this podcast afloat. Oh... <laughs> But seriously, they do. We operate at a loss, and so your donations and patronage really, really helps us. Thank you so much. Thank you also to those fans who spread the word and share our episodes. We're not a sex quilt, a sex cult just yet. I nearly said a sex quilt. <laughs> I think we're there now. We're one of those things. But not a sex cult. But it's people like you who keep the hope alive. Mm. If you'd like to sign up to our Patreon and enjoy our episode on Victorian erotica, Penny Dreadfuls, and Just Weird History, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash awful forever podcast. Do it. We'll make up horrible rumors about you. Totally boost your social life. That's right. You'll never be the same again. Mm, life changing. Or you can always join us on our social medias at Awful Forever Pod on Twitter or Awful Forever Podcast on Instagram. And as always, all the books that we read, want to read, and will probably never read, but pretend we have, <laughs> are added to our Awful Forever Book Club on Goodreads. Why did you look at me when you said Jess, I know you struggle with written words. I don't know how to read, okay? Yeah, you're, you're just a humble pirate. <laughs> Arrgh. Arrgh. And so we leave the workhouse and go back to the love house. It has to be a reality love TV house, show. Baby, love house. 
Instead of Love Island, I vote for Agapomony. Okay, yeah. If only the British public could pronounce it. If only I could pronounce it. <laughs> Who can pronounce it? While the abode of love was being built, Emily Nottage lived with her two remaining daughters, Louisa, the unwanted, and Cornelia, the oh. potentially married? I don't know. <laughs> I think it was her. Louisa, the unwanted. That's a very cool name. <laughs> Philippa, the spanned. <laughs> Jessica, the shunned. <laughs> Louisa wanted to join the abode of love again, but Agnes... Oh. <laughs> oh. I wanna... But Agnes wrote not-so-subtle letters that said in all caps, STAY AWAY! STAY AWAY FROM THE ABODE! <sighs> she warned Louisa that the abode of love was not all it seemed. <gasps> Until one day, when Agnes was writing to Louisa about all the problems in the cult, one of the men, Thomas Williams, came up silently behind her <gasps> and read the letter over her shoulder. <laughs> The letter was taken to Prince, who denounced Agnes, hurled abuse at her, and called upon the community to shun the non-believer. Oh, shun, no. shun, shun. Shame. Shame. Around that time, Louisa herself was called back to the abode of love. Oh, you gotta swap one in. Swap the sisters. Starkey and another man turned up at Emily's house at Rose Hill and gave Louisa two hours to pack, while Emily, her mother, begged her to stay. Oh, Weeks later, Agnes returned to Emily, pregnant. <gasps> pregnant? Pregnant. Pregan pregante? <laughs> pregnant. Being a dumb woman, she hadn't quite understood the whole spiritual bride thing. Mm. And someone in the abode of love had knocked her up. Mm -hmm. Both Prince and her husband denounced her, and she was sent back to her mother in shame. Oh... Harriet had also given birth to a child, but it died soon afterwards. Aww. And Prince doesn't seem to have been quite so mad at her. Huh. Maybe because she wasn't saying mean things about the abode of love. Maybe because he did it. <laughs> Maybe because he did Agnes insisted that the child's death was suspicious, but no one else in the sect seems to have backed her up. Wow. At this stage, Emily, the mother, decided that enough was enough. She wasn't going to lose three of her daughters as well as £24,000 to some weird sex cult. Because remember, Agnes might have come back, but her spiritual husband still retained control of the money. Oh, yeah. And now that Louisa had been called forth, her 6000 was at risk. Mm. If she could save Louisa, Emily could get one daughter back at least and keep her £6,000 safe from the abode of love. And so on November 10th, 1846, Louisa was confronted by her brother Edmund and her brother-in-law Frederick Ripley. They told her... <laughs> you know he's a con man. Yeah. They told her that Emily was dangerously ill and that Louisa might never get to see her again if she didn't come. Well, that's some charlatanizing if ever I've heard. That's what Louisa said as well. <laughs> she refused to believe them, and so they grabbed her and forcibly dragged her into a carriage, despite the <gasps> fact that she wasn't wearing a bonnet or a shawl. Oh, practically naked! Yes, well be! She screamed and tried to escape nearly the entire way back to Ripley's home in Bloomsbury. They had to stay somewhere overnight, and she tried to crawl out a window, very unladylike. Oh, wow. <laughs> it didn't work. When her mother, brother-in-law, and two brothers asked her why she wanted to live with Prince, she replied, I know no such person. God now dwells only a challenge in the flesh of him I once knew as Mr. Prince. God who made me and all the world is now manifest in him. 
whom I once called Mr. Prince. He has entered his tabernacle of flesh among men, and I have seen God face to face. He will deliver me wherever I am taken. Also, I'm immortal. Although I para paraphrased that last part. <laughs> I like to imagine that she just cried, You can't kill me! I'm invincible! <laughs> So after hearing all of this, Louise's family decided that she was not in her right mind. Yes. And called in the doctors. Good. Thomas Morton and Richard Rowland. Now, ever since the early days of the madhouses, the British public had been very suspicious of it because they didn't want to run the risk that maybe one day their neighbors might call them a little bit weird and have them dragged off to the, the private madhouse, especially yeah. the wealthy, because mm. it was so easy to lock up your husband forever and take his money mm -hmm. that he's worked so hard for, while you, some gold-digging woman, just <laughs> want to take what-what. <laughs> And it was actually primarily men that were put in madhouses. Hmm. You like to think, one wants to think it's women, but it wasn't. Oh, interesting. Women often got rid of their husbands that way. <gasps> it was a very convenient method of oh. getting rid of Charles and his incessant chewing at the table. <laughs> <laughs> there were certain rules that were put in place to make it more difficult to confine someone to a madhouse. Mm. You needed two doctors to write a, to interview the patient over a 14-day period, certify that they were mad, and then one person to sign the document that would commit them to the asylum. Right. When Louisa repeated her story to the two doctors that were called in, they both quickly drew up certificates stating that she was completely bonkers, <laughs> and Emily signed the order for Louisa's being committed to the asylum in Middlesex, called Moorcroft House. This wasn't hopefully forever. One of Louisa's brothers, Edmund, had spent time there to recover at times from poor mental health hmm. and Emily's intention was that Louisa would come home to her eventually mm -hmm. in the meantime during her bout of temporary lunacy Louisa would be cared for by Dr. Arthur Stilwell and Moorcraft House was one of the best run asylums in Britain they didn't take in poor people so you know oh. quality up <laughs> good yes I mean you don't want poor people ruining the place plus the poor people like being in chains but the the rich people do not so. and they just clash yeah. really they lower the tone of yes <laughs> so much like the abode of love Moorcraft House had a shrubbery also extensive grounds, orchards, gardens, and meadowland. It was very different to the dingy prison that Bedlam had been. Although even at this stage, I mean, we're in the 1840s, Bedlam was upping its game. Mm. Louisa continued to stick to her guns, though. Prince was God made flesh. The Day of Judgment was here. She was immortal. She sang to God in gibberish. Great. Those I... are all things I do daily. <laughs> Living our best life. She also hated her family, aside from her sisters that lived in the abode of love. She was angry with them for, abduct for abducting her and telling lies about the Agapomene, and for forbidding her sisters who stayed there from visiting her or writing to her. And this was all because Emily had been the one to sign the document of admission. She ran the show and decided what was best for Louisa. Even worse, Louisa was footing the bill for her own incarceration. Three guineas a week were slowly being drained from her £6,000 to keep her a prisoner in a place where she didn't really want to be. And it's an interesting situation because we can easily read the Agapomene as being an exploitative cult. Yeah. It's it's not you don't have to read between the lines <laughs> too much. No matter how hard reading is, just it's very difficult. But you can still see that, you know, a little Celtish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Louisa was a woman in her 40s, and regardless of what choices she made 
or what was forced on her, she was going to be in someone's control. She'd either be forced to live with her mother, with her money in Ripley's control, or she could live by choice with the Agapamonites, with her money in their control. God, it was so dire to be female. It really was. God damn it. I mean, nowadays, yes, it being part of a cult is a different thing entirely, mm. because they do take away your liberty, possibly endanger your life, mm. and brainwash you. Yeah. And I'm not saying that a little brainwashing wasn't part of the Agapomanites. Yeah. But it's not like her quote-unquote normal life would have been much more free. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very different value system as well. Like the Agapomanites promoted this life of happiness where mm. they had fun. and Whereas Catholicism is <laughs> guilt, 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 die. <laughs> I think they were Protestants, but also guilt, 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 oh, die. I mean, I can't remember when we switched to Protestants <laughs> back and forth. And what was the Reformation even about? <laughs> but for now, Louise is in this infuriating limbo, being forced to pay for her own imprisonment mm. because nobody's letting her make her own choices. Yeah. And while I can't say that I would act differently to her mother, like I'd be terrified if somebody that I loved go co uh, got caught up in what looks in every way to be a cult, should Louisa have been committed when she wasn't of any harm to herself or others? Yeah. And she was choosing to live what to her seemed to be her best life. That's, yeah, it's a very gray area, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, yes, brainwashing, but also still their choice. God, it's just such an uneasy and question. Like, she's a woman at 40, so, like, her normal Victorian culture is going, you're pretty useless. Yeah. What Where, choice does she have? Like, yeah. there's nothing. There's this misery or there's this sort of happiness that she, quote-unquote, chooses. Mm -hmm. God, that's so sad. What an awful <laughs> life. I'm sad now. <laughs> Everything is awful for so Louise is a woman in her mid-40s and a spinster. In the Victorian period, that meant that she wasn't really a valued member of society. She wasn't producing children or serving a husband. She was no longer marriage material, so that wasn't going to change. And to her mind, the Agapomanites were people who cherished her and where she could be useful yeah. and have a purpose mm. and spend her money on what to her was a good thing. Oh, I want her to go back to the cult. Is that bad? <laughs> Also, having her money pooled in with the resources of the other Agapomanites meant that she would at least get some enjoyment out of her money because, at least in the heyday of this cult, everybody put their money together and they could all withdraw reasonable amounts to buy things that made them happy. Oh. Instead, she was diagnosed with monomania, which is a kind of insanity that only applied to one area of one's life. So hmm. it was often religion, but it could be like business or anything really basically you were obsessed mm. with one area of your life and completely unreasonable um in how you dealt with it but perfectly fine in all other ways mm. aside from that so in her case it was her religious delusions Louisa believed that her new family would come for her, and she was right. After 14 months in the asylum, she was allowed to make little trips out into the local area, so over a year yeah, in the mental institution. And on the 6th of January, 1848, she tried to make her escape back to the abode of love, with the help of Clara's husband, William Cobb. The escape attempt failed, and she was taken back to the asylum, but not before she told Cobb all the details of her imprisonment. Mm. This enabled the Agapomanites to make a case for her release. As I've mentioned above, it was 
kind of a difficult and contradictory case. Being in the asylum had made Louisa less physically healthy. She'd lost a lot of weight, she was unhappy. The people in the asylum feared that she might harm herself as long as they kept her. Mm. So they weren't evil people. They could see that she wasn't yeah. doing well. But her delusions hadn't changed. Like, as whenever she spoke about religion, she uttered the same stuff that she'd had from the beginning. But she was still rational in every other respect of her life and was able to manage her own affairs. The result was that Louisa was released, and she went the fuck back to the Agapamonites mm -hmm. and spent the last 10 years of her life there, where they retreated more and more from the world. Oh, she died at 50? In her mid-50s. That's so young. <laughs> she could have gotten married. <laughs> Not much more is known about the lives of the Agapamonites, but I do want to get into just a couple of things that happened to them afterwards. Some people say that because no new babies were born, that they were committing infanticide. Oh. Or, worse, mm. they weren't having sex. What? Separation between husband and wife? You told me this was a sex cult! <laughs> or, as one paper said, they must be cursed with barrenness. <laughs> Also, worst of all, yes. they played hockey. <gasps> what? The main complaint was that there was no segregation of the sexes in these games, <gasps> which is just scandalous. I mean, hockey, where's what where is that where does that originate? I don't know. Yeah, it's like they should be playing shinty! Lacrosse! <laughs> no, that's French! Get the fuck out! Shinty! <laughs> so, women running about with men, sweating, Ugh. hitting balls with sticks? <gasps> what? That's the most sexual thing I've ever heard. Being happy. No! On a Sunday. That's me being sick on the floor. <laughs> Louisa actually ended up suing her mother and her brother-in-law, claiming that they'd been trying to steal her money all along. Oh. And she was even partially successful. She tried to sue them for a thousand pounds, but was awarded 50 in the end. While the Agapamonites weren't popular, the public was obsessed with wrongful incarceration at this time, <laughs> and Louisa's release and the ruling in her favour was considered a move in the right direction towards English liberty. Although the mental health professionals at the time, or the alienists as they were called at this point because they returned alienated people back to their true selves, <laughs> they felt that they were being demonised. One of them wrote, We have all experienced the dread of kidnapping in early childhood. The public, made up of children of larger growth, has taken up the notion that medical men are kidnappers, or the instruments of kidnapping, and that lunatic establishments are the recep receptacles of their victims. I think that's a word I typed. Yes. As for Emily, her one victory was that her daughter Agnes, who was returned to her after she fell pregnant, was given <laughs> sole custodial rights over her son George. That is, after the Agapomonites tried to actually kidnap. Yeah. The boy. Yeah. Despite wanting no children, yeah. it, the science checks out. Weird, weird. As for the Agapamonites, rumours surrounding them became wilder and wilder. Prince would choose a different spiritual bride every night. Of course. The men would spin a revolving table upon which the women stood, and whoever landed on Prince would be his bride for the week. <laughs> there were some sinister truths 
previous converts had to make their escape from the abode of love. Oh. They couldn't just leave. Mm. And they were often forcibly brought back to the cult. Oh. Prince became increasingly obsessed with opulence and he made some of his followers his slaves. So oh. although they were initially this share one, share all. Mm, that's it, how it starts. It always it starts. is. Just, <laughs> this is just like classic cult in every way. Yeah, And of course... There was the day of the great manifestation. Oh. At the age of 45, Prince declared that a virgin was needed to purge them all of sin and fuse them with the Holy Spirit forever. And by the Holy Spirit, I mean my dick. My dick. That's what I call my dick. <laughs> Whoever was chosen would not be able to refuse. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> On the day of the great manifestation, the men all dressed in black and the women in white, and they all stood singing, awaiting the chosen virgin. Gross. Gross. Why are Christians so obsessed with virgins? It's all very gross. <laughs> so Prince entered the room wearing red velvet. <laughs> gross. Leading the chosen woman who wore white. No one knows precisely what happened next. They may have had sex in front of the congregation on a billiards table. They may... Classy. <laughs> They may have just gotten married, despite the fact the prince was actually married to Starkey's sister. But regardless, nine months later, a child was born. Wonderful. This did not please Prince. He decided that the whole thing had been a trick of Satan's <laughs> and that the child belonged to the devil. It may have been this turning of tables that resulted in a number of suicides and the mass exit of a number of converts. I mean, at wow. one point, this cult was thought to have like up to 500 people. Oh, wow. I don't think all living in the abode of love, mm -hmm. but it, it was pretty big at one point. Yeah. But after the great manifestation, they just hemorrhaged believers. Mm, yeah. They hadn't been sticking around to be tricked by Satan. The child itself was named Eva, and she actually grew up to be pretty revered in the society. Louisa's death in 1858 and Prince's complete indifference to it also shocked a number of members oh. and influenced them to leave. She was like a core member in a way, wasn't she? She was. And for Prince, members of his cult were supposed to be immortal. That's right. So by dying, you showed that you were damned all along. Oh my god. And this was very emotionally traumatic for members who fell ill and died. Because yeah. they would be lying on the deathbeds going, What? This wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, dying was the fate of many of his followers. <laughs> and as the years progressed, they fell one by one into damnation and death. Mm. With Prince dying in 1899. Oh. He nearly saw the turn of the century. Wow. Oh, yeah. At the age of 88, he chose a successor, Reverend John Hugh Smith Pickett. <laughs> <laughs> the most British name I have ever heard. And he had a real awkward time convincing the remaining followers that this cult was totally legit after its founder died. I love this. Okay, he's like the, the pirate sexy fa Fabio. Like, right, I pass it over to... What was his name? John Hughes Smith Piggott. So he's like, right. and then John Hughes Smith Piggott comes up and is like, Hi, hello everybody. Um, new change of management. It's going, it's going to be okay. Uh, we're we are immortal, actually. 
And this is rather awkward, isn't it? But we can all get to know each other at the Christmas party. And now I'm your new manager now. Okay, goodbye. I I, I too am the Holy Spirit. I am also. When he died, it went into me. (laughs) It wasn't a sex thing. It wasn't a sex thing. That sounds very awkward, doesn't it? (laughs) But no, I am the Holy Spirit. We are indeed more. And I'll see you at the Christmas party. Join me afterwards for a cup of tea. We're not going to do uh, a secret Santa this year. We're going to do a Yankee swap instead. So uh, read the memo and yeah, goodbye. I Oops, I went the wrong way. That you can't get out that way. I'm new. Sorry, I don't know. I'll, I'll go out the other way. <laughs> okay, goodbye. I'm cringing. cringing. <laughs> Dying. And that was John Johnny Johnny Smith English Bulldog Picket, picket Boy. And that's exactly what the history books say. <laughs> was reading from the text and that's pretty much all i have to say um he did manage to convince his cult that this was all totally legit despite the awkwardness he did actually succeed in rallying them to himself i think at one point he collected another 50 impressionable young women to put some life into it (laughs) hello um. (laughs) Uh, would you like um a bit awkward, I know. Sorry, but could you just take your headphones off so I can? Thanks, great. So, join my sex cult. <laughs> join, join my sex cult. I'm William John Sniggity Piggy. Piggy. And uh... <laughs> Sniggy to my friends. Sniggy to my friends, uh, which you'll soon be because you're in the cult and you can't leave her. So, um, sorry. Yankees oh, can't just can't open the door. Yeah. It's terribly awkward. Oh, dear. This is a pull, not a push. <laughs> That's embarrassing. All right, I'll see you later. For the sermon. (laughs) And this cult went all the way from the 1900s into the 60s. The 1960s. That's crazy. Can you imagine them in the 20s? That's oh, terribly my awkward. Sorry, I was uh, swinging now. I was swinging. Dancing, dancing. It's a bit difficult, isn't it? Because I've got two left feet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I think the last member maybe died in 1956. Mm. Like, and the house, I think it's now a church, the abode of love that was oh. inherited. In the 60s, there was this fascination with them because by the end, they were pretty old. Yeah. So there were all of these articles about old people wife swapping and stuff like that and oh they just had fantastically awkward names i think piggott himself his nickname was beloved oh you just want to vomit (laughs) his wives were called like glory lightened victory or something he had three wives Uh uh-huh spiritual wives and they de nay fucking i don't know if it descended into sex or not in the end because like Mm. i said no one can talk about it honestly yeah piggott's wife had three children called glory power and life there's the awkward names god that's so smiggy isn't it and in 1902 in india a man called mirza gulam ahmad warned him of his false teachings and made a death prophecy about him so it was relevant for a while wow but just Horribly awkward, I guess. Forevermore after <laughs> Prince died. After sexy pirate prince. Uh, there's more awkward names. Oh, tell the me. anointed ones. Ugh. The angel of the last trumpet. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> that's my penis. 
good cults. Great, yeah. The Victorians had very bougie cults. <laughs> I feel sad for Louisa because yeah. I wanted her to be part of a happy cult because the alternative was a Victorian woman's life. God but, damn. <laughs> but she was, that. I think she was there for the great manifestation and that must have been awkward as well, watching yeah. your leader fuck someone on a billion table. Yeah, because I imagine that being this incredibly awkward Sex in the movies is all, and you can imagine it all, you know, like, it's dramatic in there, but sex in real life is just sort of flopping around on each other, <laughs> grunting and sweating. And so then just like, you're standing around and you just watch these people being like... <laughs> 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 like and what absolutely confounded people was that the members of the cult saw nothing weird about any of this. <sighs> it was only after it was revealed to be a trick of uh, Satan that they were like, well, I'm out. Ah, uh, yeah. All good. Good things. Good facts that you learned my brain hole with. No, no, I was going to go with a dirty joke, but I'm going <laughs> to retract that. Just like I'm going to retract my enormous dong. It's, it's, it's kind of intimidatingly huge. It is. Yeah. Sorry, I'm gonna, just going to roll it up. Yeah, just furl <laughs> it up. Like, roll it up like, a, like you'd like roll away a belt. I'm just going to... Yeah. There we go. All nice and tidy now. Yeah, good. Thanks. So aside from my dong, some things are nice sometimes. Um, How's the world been treating you good, Jess? Your hair's on fleek. <laughs> My hair is on fleek. <laughs> but I usually do look incredible, so... That's true. I just don't have the pleasure of seeing you every goddamn day. That's just my default state. Uh, we did some foraging yesterday, went on a good dog walk with a friend. As I'm walking, Kiba, I'm just like looking around at all the forest things. Like, <laughs> and like the person that I went on a walk with yesterday, she's doing foraging and she was telling me about all these different funguses and stuff because I've only seen one, but she like showed me these other things. And one is this beautiful like red cup. And it's called an elf cup. Elf cap couldn't quite hear her. She was English, so all the vowels <laughs> sound the same. And I was like, I need any reason because you can eat them. So she's like, you can eat them raw. So she just puts them on salads because they're like beautiful. But I was very jealous, and so I'm gonna have to go and find them. Also, there's another fungus called a a, a jelly ear, which looks like an ear and it's floppy. Oh. And she was like, Oh, look over there! And went diving into the brush and showed me. It was like wibbling it, and I was like, oh. I hate this. I need them all. And it was just like harvesting them and wibbling them. Like this is the worst. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Just like taking I love it. them. <laughs> yeah. I really want a fly agaric because they're beautiful. Put that poisonous. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're just these little beautiful little little Ooh. mushrooms. And normally, when I think of fungus, I, they're quite scary to me. I don't know. I think it's just because they surround like death and rotting things. I find them quite frightening. So like usually when I used to watch like David Attenborough a lot, they'd be like sections on mushrooms and the way they just like blossom mm. out, but they're frightening Ugh. but then like seeing seeing all these like beautiful interesting ones because they're really lovely there's like this bright red in the middle like a little cup or like like, like a little hat for an elf and then like, there's orange on the outside and then finding the jelly ears and just wibbling them and being like <laughs> but apparently you can like take them and, and if you boil them you can eat them they don't taste great but they're good for texture so if you hmm. have them like in a Japanese if soup you like wibbly things yeah and I can imagine <laughs> them being good in soup and apparently the elf cups you could just eat raw so it's just if you have like a salad put these beautiful red like blossoms on and it was just fun to like walk around learn about mushrooms and like all the things that you could just like pick up from the ground and, and eat or just have to look at and mm. it was nice getting in your nature getting in my druid spirit you know <laughs> I'm druiding it up I love mushrooms I think that they have a very as you say like a weird kind of horrific beauty yes I love like Jeff and Amir they 
kind of the, the weird fiction author he uses mushrooms a lot in his aesthetic mm. and it really mm-hmm. i think i'm just so frightened by the idea of cordyceps because oh, if you read the girl yes. with all the gifts yes. it's just like or play the last of us mushrooms is how we die that is indeed how we die and that's just terrifying that they can hack your brain and turn you into a zombie and then burst <laughs> through your skull and yeah and take mm, over ants <laughs> please burst into my skull <laughs> You know, Jess, I yeah. am powered by mushrooms. Yes. As we speak. Shit. You may not have guessed. Fuck. That is very nice. It's foraging. It was fun. I do want to... Um, my friend, she's doing... All, well, she's learning a lot more about it. Apparently, it used to be a really big thing, of course, but that knowledge has been lost. And so now people are kind of like having to relearn a lot of it because not a lot of it was written down. So we're kind of like re-foraging for what's edible and what's good. And there's a lot of things that are edible, but don't taste good. <laughs> a lot of things that taste good but are not exactly and yeah we harvested some wild garlic and it's crazy just like picking up a leaf and it smells like garlic and you're like this is crazy so (laughs) it was fun foraging and picking up picking up ground food oh i'm here for it it was great and now i think we're gonna be foraging yeah for lunch for for fucking steak lunch lunch. lunch. yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll have gone we'll have gone yeah. So yeah. All right. Get out of my house. I but, who, fucking who, get out I'm of my sorry, house. Yes. This is your house. Bye. Bye. Bye.